Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Carl Drake, and I'm a member of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. You all get gold stars for showing up. <laughs> Since 1870, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter, follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. Announcements today. An update on the stewardship campaign. We've now received $266,092 in pledges so far this year. If you've not yet turned in a pledge form, please stop by uuwasa.org to print one off or pick one up in the office. The church office will be closed for the holidays from this afternoon until next Sunday, January 2nd. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Please stand, if you are able, and join me with the opening hymn number one.
Please join me in repeating the affirmation. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. And also let us say our doxology. The mission and the ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwausau.org, to make a one-time donation or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you so much for your support. invite everyone to join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. I encourage you to put your feet flat and firm on the ground if you're so inclined. If it is your custom to pray with your eyes closed, you're welcome to close them now. Take a moment and scan your body. Pull the air on your head. Any aches you may have. Take note of your heart, your lungs, and let us journey into silence with these words. God of life and love, holy mystery of 
wildness and order. Although we celebrate, the pain is never far away. We know so many places of brokenness and separation, so much anger and distrust. And like children, we want to know the reason why. Why is there violent death in our schools and on our streets? Why do so many people have no work, no way to support themselves? Why have we cut ourselves off from each other? Why can't the leaders of all nations find paths to peace and justice? Holy mystery, though we have been made without full understanding, let our hopes and prayers for those in pain and need find an answer. Now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for prayer hymn number 123, Spirit of Life.
two readings this morning, one a poem entitled December 26th, today, by Ken Nisbet. The poem reads, A BB gun, a model plane, a basketball electric train, a bicycle, a cowboy hat, a baseball bat, a deck of cards, a science kit, a racing car, a catcher's mitt. So that's my list of everything that Santa Claus forgot to bring. And our next reading, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in the 12th verse. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, and quick to forgive an offense. Forgive quickly and completely, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment, and never be without it. Let peace keep you in tune with each other and step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Instruct and direct one another using good, common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in thanks every step of the way. Therein ends our readings.
I'd have to look through my records to be 100% for certain, but I think this is my 200th sermon at UU Wausau. 200. In my first sermon, I preached from Luke's Gospel. I'm sure you all remember it vividly, just like yesterday. In Luke's Gospel, if you remember, what I quoted from that morning is I said, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, and consider the lilies how they grow. Do not keep worrying. Instead, strive for God's kingdom. Those are Luke's words that I read five years ago. A summary of Luke might read, Enjoy creation and live with just enough. But nobody likes just enough. We want it all. If you drive around on trash day this week, you'll see what I mean when you spy the bins overstuffed with the remains of Christmas carnage. I actually think that it would be an interesting spiritual exercise if I had the congregation collect its trash for a week or two And then all of you would bring your trash to church and you would display it for one another in the atrium. And then the fellow church members would walk by and they would see all your Snickers wrappers and your spent bottles and your coffee grounds and heaven knows what else. I actually think that we would learn a lot from one another if we shared our garbage rather than kept it out of sight and had it hauled away every week. You have nothing to worry about, of course, because the property committee would never let me get away with this. And even if I pulled it off, they would rip me out of this pulpit and replace me with a secular humanist faster than I could say, Amen. But spiritual and personal garbage is what I'm talking about this morning. I think we all would agree that we carry just a little bit of garbage in us. It adds up over the course of the year, over the course of a life. And as this church's only minister to 220 or so adults, you might imagine that I give a lot of pastoral care. And what I can tell based off what I observe is that the people in this church who weather the storms of life the best often have thick and meaningful spiritual practices. It's those people who in crisis have nowhere to turn who get angry or resentful and turn to destructive outlets to cope. And that is the truth, at least based off my observation. And that's why I'm preaching the last sermon of the year, my 200th, on setting intentions and finding a spiritual practice that will serve you in the best, but most of all, in the worst of times. Thomas Merton, the late Catholic mystic and Trappist monk, He said in one of his sermons that all of us have demons that occupy our hearts, and these demons pretend to be gods. And when this happens, we're left with less room for ourselves in ourselves. Merton thought of this as sort of like a spiritual imprisonment. And over time, this imprisonment ends up leaving us feeling satisfied with half-human joys leaving us satisfied with half-human despairs and half-human desires. Now, there are any number of things that leave us vulnerable to half-human joys and desires. A bad year, a bad marriage, COVID fatigue, the death of a loved one, bad habits. You all know this list as good or even better than I do. And when bad things add up, because bad things add up, 
It tends to limit our ability to self-actualize, which is just a fancy phrase for doing and being what really and truly matters. The thing about bad years and relationships and tragedy is that they tend to rob us of what psychologists call the smart state, which is when we have full access to all our resources and we can respond smartly. The opposite of this is called the critter state, which is when we dip into things like fear and old safety and survival patterns like fight or flight that limit our ability to be creative and problem solve. Now it's worth noting here that when we are in critter state, we tend to see an us versus them world. We also tend to other people and we enforce labels that serve selfish ends. But to live in the smart state, you need three things. You need safety, you need belonging, and you need mattering. Safety, belonging, mattering. Now, safety requires an environment where we can take risks and push ourselves into uncharted personal and communal territory. Belonging means that we have a place where we are equal with others. Now, let me clarify a bit about belonging. You see, belonging doesn't mean that you have a place where everyone thinks like you. A place where everyone thinks like you is a gang or a cult. And gangs and cults are lame. Belonging is the opposite of groupthink. Mattering means that what you contribute as an individual is really and truly appreciated. Safety to take risks, belonging with others who appreciate who you are, and having your contributions matter. That's how you get to the smart state. Those are what keep the demons at bay. Those are what get us, as I said, to the smart state. But the question remains, how do we get to the smart state, and how do we stay there or get back quickly when we default to the critter? Now, I'm making an assumption on everyone's behalf that all of us wants to live in the smart state. It's the end of the year, and soon many of us will be making our New Year's resolutions. And I bet everybody in this room knows the statistics on how often those resolutions are kept. If you go to the gym, go to the YMCA on January 3rd, walk into the exercise room, and just snap a picture with your phone. And then I want you to go back on April 3rd, and I want you to compare the weight and gym room to your picture on January 3rd. I'd make a bet that you would notice a difference in the number of people on the equipment, because that's just how it goes. And there's actually a scientific reason for this that religious people have been talking about for thousands of years, but this morning I'll use scientific language to make the case. So the American Psychological Association has done extensive study in this area, and they've discovered that most people who relapse on resolutions, which is most people, they do so because they have overestimated their abilities and underestimated the time it takes to make changes stick. Further, they have a bloated view of what the change would actually end up having on their lives. They overestimate their abilities, they underestimate the time, and they have a bloated view of what that change would actually end up having on their lives. 
So in the New Yorker, plug for the New Yorker noon swoon, in the New Yorker, I read about two psychologists, Jane Polivy and Peter Herman, and they call this phenomenon false hope syndrome. This is when we have unrealistic expectations about our ability to change. And then that is followed very closely by a complete dashing of our hopes because we couldn't get that change to stick. What psychologists try to do when they counsel people who feel as though all hope is lost is this. They remind their patients that if you are still alive and breathing, there's still time to change. Now, St. Paul knew this 2,000 years before psychology was invented, and he left record of the knowledge in his letter to the church in Rome when he said, quote, For all of you have sinned, and all of you come short of the glory of God. Our righteousness, which would have been Paul's word, our righteousness, which is really just Paul's word for the psychologist's word, smart state, it comes when we admit to ourselves in the community we belong to that we are all limited, that bad things add up in our hearts, that our garbage is just as smelly as everyone else's, that we don't always do what's right, that we don't always feel safe, we don't always feel like we belong, and we don't always feel that we matter. So how do we stay in spiritual shape? How do we keep demons at bay? How do we avoid being critters so we can live in the smart state? Here's some things. The first thing to remember, this is key, the first thing to remember is not everything is about you. The Reverend Bill Coffin once said, quote, there is no smaller package in the world than someone who is all wrapped up in himself. We might be wise to remember Socrates' advice that the unexamined life is what? Not worth living. We've all heard that. I'd like to add something to Socrates' advice. It's also true that the over-examined life is not worth living either. So the advice is unwrap yourself a little bit and recognize that you can probably lighten up just a little bit. Another thing you should do is remind yourself to breathe. Just breathe. In my family, everyone knows that when my father goes outside to have a smoke, that is the only thing Bob does. Now, I'm not recommending that you all go out and start smoking cigarettes. I've been trying to get my dad to quit for decades. But what I'm suggesting is that you set aside some time every day to just breathe with intention. You don't have to do three things at once all the time. This advice is essentially pay attention to your life and pay attention to what matters. And in order to do this, and I believe this strongly, I think you have to pray or meditate. And if you're bad at this, join the club. If when you try and meditate, your mind won't shut up, get in line. As psychologists have learned, all of us underestimate the time it takes for something to stick. But don't let that stop you from praying for something that matters. Try this. Try praying for people who annoy you. And if your impulse is to critique every little thing you don't like about someone, do yourself a favor and stop for a beat. Maybe all the crap you're harboring for someone else is really just your crap. If you don't feed the critter in your mind, it won't have as much energy. 
That's how biology works. And that's how psychology works too. My mentor in ministry, he told me a long time ago, he said, Brian, sometimes the hardest thing you will ever have to do is say nothing. So walk away sometimes. Say nothing sometimes. Give life time to do its thing without you trying to control all the dials. Here are a few other suggestions. Don't take everything so seriously. Since I've been here, I have sat in a zillion board and committee meetings. And I can tell you definitively that the worst board and committee meetings are the ones that have members who take everything as serious as heart attacks. If it's not death or dying or disease or negligence or something truly dreadful, lighten up. Because the truly sad and tragic things in life will need all of your attention when they come, and they will come. Which leads me to another piece of advice. Pay attention to those sad times because that is when the love in your life will speak the loudest. My last four pieces of advice are this. Serve a higher purpose. Do your own work. Find a few rituals and stick with them and be accountable to yourself and the commitments you've made. And finally, here on the edge of a year's end, remember with gratitude all the gifts you've been given by others. Remember life's beautiful things. Remember the painful times. Remember the people you've met. Remember the people you appreciate. Remember all of your dreams good and bad. And finally, remember that you are enough, that even in the darkest days, there is goodness and joy in this world. So happy new year and amen. You're welcome to rise and sing our closing hymn, number six, just as long as I have breath.
May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. You're welcome to have a seat, relax and enjoy the postlude and I'll see you in just a minute. Thank you. 